All right, and we are back on the bat around on this Saturday morning, and uh, it's been an all-moose talk fest uh, for the first uh, hour and 20 minutes, and that's going to continue right now with uh, Mark Mussina, the brother of Mike Mussina, the younger brother, uh, and he joins us right now. Mark, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Stan. How are you? Good. Hey, I, I've got an incredibly successful brother, far more successful from a financial career perspective than, than me. Uh, See, I can't relate to that at all. I, that's I what I was wondering. <laughs> I was wondering, first of all, I got to tell you, I'm passing your article around like crazy. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. One of the best sports pieces I've read anywhere. I appreciate that. Yeah. We have a question about the paper, though. Uh, Is that the Montoursville paper? It's, it's Williamsport. No, Williamsport. Williamsport. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. I got you. All we, right. We have paper, but we don't have a paper. All so right. It's, uh, How did that come about, first of all? I mean, you know, it, it was nip and tuck there at the very end. Had you talked to them a couple weeks before about doing this, if Mike well, got in? Yeah, in, in the small town world of you know, where we are. Yeah. Um, I, I still do a, a radio show here one day a week. And the guy I co-host it with is like the lead sports writer for the local paper. Okay. And about a week ago, I told him, Hey, I have this idea for, for a story from my perspective. And, um, would you guys, because I, my first thought was if he got in, they would run an extra special section. Mm-hmm. And of course the guy, my buddy says, well, they should, but I don't know if they will. Right. So we'll have to see because what made it, it – it's not like a, a football preview or anything like that where you know it's coming. They're like, we don't know if he's going to get in until 6 o'clock. Well, and now they can run – but now they can run that special section in July. That And that's yeah. true. And yeah. they did, as it worked out, my article – it ended up being like 3,500 words. Yep. It was long. And they first came back to me and said – um, if you can cut it down to a thousand or fifteen hundred, we can run it. Right, and then we'll run the whole thing online. And I said, you can't. It's not. You, I can't cut it down that far. Right. So we kind of kept going back and forth, and then literally about eight o'clock, like two hours after he got in, they said, "All right, how about this? We'll we're going to take this part out and we'll run the rest." So they ran most of it in the newspaper, and okay. they ran all of it online. Okay. Well, I think you got a, a real – in reading it, you get a really good idea and perspective of what it was like to watch your brother pitch at the major league level. But i got to ask you, we, we always talk about the consistency and all of the accomplishments and the numbers and things of that nature. And I know you could probably be more biased than anyone when I ask you this, but – from from you watching him, what was the one thing that impressed you most about his whole career? Uh, one of the things that I, I talk to people about, well, they, well, there's a couple. One, people don't get to see the preparation. And I tell people, you know, because what, what made Mike successful, Mike had good stuff, but there were guys with better stuff. Mike had, you know, the, the incredible uh, pinpoint location, and he could throw multiple pitches to – uh, you know, wherever he needed to throw it in, whatever counts. And when he played catch, just pl- there was no just laugh around, screw around. Like he, he would end up, when he threw a ball, he would end up um, kind of like a pointer dog, whatever those dogs are called mm-hmm. that you go hunt with. And every time he was perfectly balanced. 
every throw. He never fell over. He was never off. And oh, even in, in January, when you're playing catch, he would, throw, he would throw the ball, and you're catching it, and you look down at the other end, and he looks like a weather vane, that he's perfectly balanced. And it was over and over and over. So there was a lot of uh, attention to, to stupid little detail. Because, you know, you go to the Little League field and you tell kids while they're playing catch, like, pay attention to what you're doing. And they're just talking and goofing around. And the, the attention to detail during the workouts is what made him be able to repeat his delivery over and over and over on the mound. Um, the other thing was I thought – you know, people talk about how people are great competitors, but I thought one of the things that he did very well was I thought he competed well from the standpoint that after something happens, good or bad, you need to learn from it, but you also need to turn the page and move on, and you, it, dwelling in what happened isn't really good for anything. And when he would come out of the clubhouse after the game, you couldn't tell if he won, if he lost, or if he didn't even play. Mm-hmm. Like, he was the same guy every time, and, you know, it, there was just – he didn't ride the highs and he didn't ride the lows, but, you know, he was he was mentally, um, you know, I don't say compartmentalizing, but he was, he was learning from what just happened, and he was going to try to take his experience and, and, you know, make himself a better pitcher, but he didn't – he didn't jump up and down with victory, and he didn't beat himself up with defeat. He kind of like, you know, today's over, now i got to get ready for the next one. And I thought he did that very well, and I think that helped him through 18 years. I was just telling Stan, I think one of the great things that, you know, as I got to know Mike down through the years, uh, there's a thing online that I read that said that he had just missed the valedictorian award at his, for his graduating class. Right at Montoursville. I'm not sure if that story. I've heard that story. <laughs> and it I'm says, sure it says, true. according to some reports, he intentionally came up short to avoid delivering the commencement speech. Because <laughs> he was close. Like in our school, the top three kids get to speak, and I think he ended up number five. So he was close. But I think the other three guys might be saying, "Listen, you know, he, I was smarter than he was. I'm not sure he he tanked this. I think I beat him." So. Yeah, I'm not sure if that story's true or not. But 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 I just read it and I thought to it's myself, a good story now. But I thought to myself, that's so Mike. <laughs> we're talking yeah. with we're we're talking with Mark Mussina, the younger brother of Mike Mussina, who's uh, going into Cooperstown this uh, July. Um, Richard Justice was just on, and I had told the story earlier in the show because I interviewed your dad. In 19, I believe it was 87 or 88, when they the Orioles drafted him out of high school, and I'm I'm assuming you were probably like seven or eight then. Is that about right? No, no, I was when he was in high school. I was a freshman in high school when he was a senior. Okay, so he was only a couple of years different. But yeah. I remember yeah. your dad coming on and basically telling the story how Mr. Williams, because I was really pushing the, that the Orioles have to sign this kid, and your dad sort of said, well. Mr. Williams said that, uh, you know, we'll pay for his college or something to that effect. And your dad said, Mr. Williams, I, I'm a lawyer, too. I can pay for his college. It's what's beyond that. And uh, it didn't work out that first time. Do you remember Mike or your dad being surprised the Orioles took a second bite at the apple? Well, it, the second time was interesting because you you hear all these speculations and some people, I, we had read someplace that he was, 
he was a mid-second rounder. Mm-hmm. But we'd also heard, um, because I think if I'm if my names are running, um, he played in college with Ed Sprague. Right. And I think Eddie Sprague's dad was in the Oriole organization at that point. Correct. I think he was a scout with the Oriole organization. Yep. Okay. Because he had said, we you'd read some places where he was a mid-second rounder, and then Ed Sprague's dad told us, we don't think, he, we pick 20th, and we don't think he'll be there. Right. So when you hear something like that, you're kind of like, well, I guess he's not going to go any lower than 20th, because, and that's how it ended up turning out. So we weren't, because of the Ed Sprague connection, we weren't that surprised. But um, we it was just, it was lucky, because he obviously wanted to stay on the East Coast, and um, it just worked out perfectly. His uh, time in New York, and I, you know, and I know a lot of Oriole fans continue to say, "Well, you know, he he left, he went to the Evil Empire, that kind of thing." But when you you look back on it, he signed three years to take a discount to stay in Baltimore, and then I think with the way kind of everything went, you know, there were a little bit of hard feelings. Uh, mainly more probably from, from the Oriole end of no it. No question about and, it. Uh, but, you know, really that, that move to New York turned out to be the best thing for him because at the time the Orioles were on the downside and at the time the Yankees had already won World Series and they were in the midst of a dynasty. And, you know, Mike probably looked at that as, hey, man, I got a chance to go here. I you know, get paid well, but I also have a chance to win. It's it's really funny when the year before, um, I was actually staying at his agent's house for a night. I was in California, and I stayed with his agent. And at the time, um, so this would have been like 99, um, Mike's next to last year with the Orioles. And all Mike had ever said was, I'm just going to stay in Baltimore. And I'm, I'm in his agent's kitchen, and I'm telling him, I said, I don't care where, if he stays in Baltimore, he needs to go test the free agent market. Mm -hmm. And his agent, of course, looks at me and goes, well, I'd love for him to test the free agent market, but that's not what he wants to do. So I was kind of the one just saying, just go see what you're worth. This is the one time in your life that you are ever going to be able to go, like, look at all of your options and then pick the best one. And he was like, nah, I'm just going to stay. And then as time went on and time went on and, the Oriole organization seemed to, I don't want to say unravel, but, um, you know, the well, Oriole organization. Yeah, you can, you can say kind of, that. You can kind of say that at that uh, time. Yeah. Yeah. They were on a downslide, and, and, you know, things just, as negotiations continued on and continued on, and then it just got to the point that it was obvious that he was going to go somewhere. I use the analogy, because someone I talked to, it might have been with Glenn the other day, when he said, um, you know, it's like the Orioles broke up with him. And I said, well, I don't. I don't want to say that in negotiations the Orioles necessarily broke up with Mike, but they kind of said, we'll continue dating, but we're going to date other people. Like, that's how much we're committing to this relationship. Yeah. When all these other people were saying, you know, the Yankees would give six years, the Red Sox would give seven years, you know, the Mets were willing to offer, but he didn't want to go to the National League and all this, and, and the Orioles made the lowest offer of all of them. So it was just... Yeah. It was an awkward time, but it's that's business, and that's yep. the way sports works. And and there's no, I know a lot of people in Baltimore hold hard, hold hard feelings about it, and we don't. We we remember yeah. the times in Baltimore as great times, and obviously twenty one thirty one is is one of the most special days in baseball history. And Mike was lucky enough to be a part of it. So, um, you know, we 
I, I told someone the other day, people in Baltimore look at it like a divorce. Like he divorced the Orioles and went to the Yankees. You know, Mike kind of looks at it like his two kids. Like I, I, I have a Baltimore kid. I have a New York kid. I love them both. And, you know, there, there's no um, – there, there really is no hard feelings either way, but I understand Oriole fans, and, and, and I get it. Mark, I'll tell you an anecdote. I, I had Pat Gillick on uh, a radio show that we did in Mount Washington at McCafferty's one night, and this was after the Orioles had signed Scott Erickson to a five-year contract about six months after they told your brother that the Orioles don't do five-year contracts for pitchers. They do max – three years and right. and when after Erickson signed I mean I was ecstatic we had Key, Mussina and Erickson in the starting rotation and I said to Pat Gillick I said but you told Mike Mussina that you only do three-year contracts don't you think you should go back and redo that contract like immediately and I and look I'm not trying to negotiate 20 years ago with for, for your brother I have a feeling if they had torn up that contract and almost thrown a couple more years on at that time, he never ends up getting to free agency because it just wouldn't have happened if he had been with the club another two or three years. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think another one that kind of gets lost, I remember I, I was in a bar up here in Williamsport, and I saw along the ticker, you know, the before the days where everything, all the news was on your phone, I saw across the ticker that the Orioles had signed Aaron Seeley. And at the time, right. you know, Aaron Seeley's not, a Cy Young candidate, but he was a solid big league pitcher. Right. And one of the discussions at the time was, what are, are the Orioles going to be able to compete? What direction are the Orioles going in? And when they signed Aaron Seeley, I said, well, if they're signing Aaron, then they're obviously going to sign Mike, and now they've got you know two front-line starters. And, and then Seeley failed the physical or something. I don't, yep. I don't remember they, what happened. They reneged on the, the contract offer because he didn't pass their physical. Yep. Yeah, and when that fell apart, then I thought uh, Mike might not be in Baltimore. Anymore. Yeah, I gotta ask so, you. I gotta ask you one question, and this is, goes back to something you referenced in your column. I was in the press box, sitting in my normal seat, the night that he got hit by the line drive uh, off the bat of Alomar. Uh, I, I want to ask you not to relive bad memories, but just you're in the stands, you see that happen, your initial response because. I had people sitting around me, and I just yelled out, oh, my God. Well, my really my initial one was when he – and if, if you want to look at the video, which I'm sure is out there. But uh, when, he went, when he went down, I could see that he kind of half rolled over. Mm-hmm. And so I, ne- I, I knew he was awake. Like, my immediate thought is, like, he's not dead. Because right. I saw him move. So then – um, and, I, and then he got up and walked off the field with Richie holding the, holding the towel to his head. So at that point, you know, he didn't go off on a stretcher. He didn't go. So then you knew it was just an injury and how bad was it? And was it his eye? And was it, you know, that. So, and when I got downstairs and then they had him on the table and they were, and I remember the first thing I said to him is, did you get his contact out, his contact lens? And they said, yeah, we got his contact out. Mm. And then, uh, you know, it was just x-rays, and it was um, – they, they x-rayed. They said his forehead looked good, and his, his nose had, was broken a little bit. But um, – and that – it so it wasn't – I don't want to say it wasn't bad because it was bad, but it 
there everything medically was good, even from the from what I could see in the crowd. He's awake. He walked yeah. off. So, and when we got to the hospital, they're like, "Yeah, you know, he's he's lucky, and yep. um, and everything should be fine." So there was never those. You're not sitting in the waiting room where it's touch and go, and you're waiting for the doctor to come out and give you good news or bad news. So, it it sucked. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but it was it. It, I don't know. As, as yeah. grotesque as it looked, and as it's more scary to talk about it than to kind of relive it because it it was bad, but it it, it you always it just never it was never that bad because all the signs weren't that bad. We're talking with Mark Mussina, and to our listeners and our viewers on Facebook Live, if you get the chance, uh, go to just go to Google and type in "finality of immortality: a brother's emotional journey." Finality of Immortality, A Brother's Emotional Journey. Uh, Mark Mussina has written a beautiful piece uh, about his brother and uh, rooting for him for as long as he has. Mark, I was really touched, and I know uh, Steve Jeppe and I, he sent me the piece, and he lost his brother a few years ago, a good bit older than you guys, but it really touched him. And what really hit me in that article was how you've been rooting for him for so long, and the Hall of Fame vote, in a weird way, ended your rooting for him. In other words, there's a there's a hole now for you, isn't there? Well, that's that was the whole um, gist of the yeah. of the article, the the finality of the immortality. That you know, even last year, you know, I'm tra- and there's there's fewer. You know, when he's when he's pitching, and you're you're hoping that. You leave spring training, you're hoping he makes the all-star team. You know, that's, that's the, the immediate goal. And so you're rooting against Randy Johnson, and you're rooting against Roger Clements, and you're rooting against, you know, all these guys, not just because they're playing on the wrong team, but you're rooting against all because he has to finish, you know, if he's one of the best seven starters or best five starters or whatever, he's going to make the all-star team. So I spent not only his whole baseball career rooting for the Orioles and rooting for the Yankees and rooting against the Red Sox and rooting against the Blue Jays and all those, but these individual pitchers that I'm rooting against Jack McDowell and I'm rooting <laughs> against Mark Burley. And, and every day I pick up the Baltimore Sun and I'm like, who's pitching today? And these are the guys I got to follow. And even after he stopped, I'm still watching the, the Bartolo Colones and the C.C. Sabathias and the Justin Verlanders and the Clayton Kershaws and the John Lesters. And, and you know, I watched Jamie Moyer get close. Jamie Moyer ended yeah. up with 269 wins. Mm. He got one short. We- and um, so, so it was. It still gave me this rooting interest. Um, it, was, it was faded, and it wasn't as daily, but it was still there. And I knew every time Justin Verlander took the mound. I knew it. And now, when I wake up this year, I, I don't – it'll be interesting to see how, how diehard I follow it because, like I, I told I, – I think I told Glenn the other day, Justin Verlander can go 25 and out. And right. it doesn't – you know, Mike's reached this milestone and he's never coming out. So, um, so it has been – it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much – um, how I watch base because I'm sure I, I'll still watch it. Sure, but how I watch it will be interesting. Well, it'll be, it'll be thirty. He'll be thirty four coming up uh, this year when the season starts. But one of the people I think you should watch is uh, Max Scherzer down in DC <laughs> because well, see, I- you know I, I said to Max at at Winterfest down 
down in D.C. this year, I said, look, I grew up watching Jim Palmer. I watched Mike Messina. God, you guys are old. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I, did I, I was just thinking that. And I, and I said, I watched Mike Messina. I said, I've, you know, certainly Roger Clemens and some other great names. I said, but right now, I said, you've got to be the best right-hander I think I've seen pitch because I've seen this now Mark day in and day out whenever he takes the the mound and there's been there's been you know Cy Youngs there's been uh no hitters mm-hmm. and and he's there's been, been the fabulous high yeah. Games, yeah. yeah he he's all right for himself um, <laughs> when i think of, when i think of baseball now and, and the pitchers i think Kershaw's a lock i think Scherzer's a lock and um i think um Verlander's and i think close. Verlander's a lock yeah. And I think Sabathia is probably not uh, as slam dunkish of a lock as those guys because the last few years have been so injury riddled for him. But he's going to get in, and he's real close to a lock. So those are the yeah. I mean, they just there. There's a Scherzer and Kershaw, and mostly Verlander's interesting because Verlander's thrown up some clunkers in the middle of his career, right? Like. And, like, Greg Maddox never did, and Pedro Martinez never did. Um, so, but those are the guys uh, of this era that are what those guys were, the Randy John. You just, every time they went to the mound, you, you were like, well, they're, they're probably not going to lose. So, but but yeah, I agree I with you. I think Verlander has to have a couple more good years to solidify his, his spot. He, because of the no hitters, I think. Yeah. And because when he was young, Detroit was there on the map, and mm-hmm. and now that he's he's gone to Houston. But even a buddy of mine just pointed out the other day, when you look, just even a year and a half ago, when he he got traded to Houston midseason, the first half of the season in Detroit, he wasn't very good. No. Mm-hmm. And was... then he went to Houston and had a rebirth. I, I've made the point with each of our guests today, and I'm wondering, because you followed your brother so closely, the, the stat that has amazed me more and more as I study him was that the Orioles in his 10 years in Baltimore were a 5'11 winning percentage. Mike's percent, winning percentage in Baltimore was 645. I find that just incredibly remarkable that he outpitched the outcomes, the average outcome of his team by, you know, 125, 135 points. And when you look at the first three or four years in Baltimore, how many bullpens did uh, they blow leads for Mike? Yeah. <laughs> i tell you, I, I got a funny story for you. that um, when, when I, After I wrote the article, and, and after he got in, he, I've heard from so many people. And um, one of my buddies from high school sent me a message. And he said, um, he said, I remember a time when Mike was just young and he just broke in, and he said, I showed up at your, at your house, and I was looking for you, but you were in Baltimore. <laughs> and uh, so your parents let me in, and I walk in, and it's the ninth inning. And Mike had a two-run lead, and the reliever, who I don't know who, I assume it was Olsen, but I don't know who it was. And he said, and the reliever walks the first batter. And my buddy says, so I open my mouth and say, well, that sucks, because now one swing of the bat and Mike loses his win. And oh. he said the next guy hit a two-run homer, <laughs> and he said, I just wanted to cur- curl up and crawl under the couch. But, yeah, it was um, – I-, I tell you, the, the most it- – it's one of the boringest stats you'll ever hear, but it's the one, the more I look into it, the more I- impressed I am with it. You think these starting pitchers and these great pitchers go out and win 
three out of every four times they take the mound. Mm-hmm. And it's just not like, you know, a 17-game winner or an 18-game winner wins like half of his starts. And when you look through, Mike won 270 games and he started 536 times. He pitched 537 games. So he won slightly more than half of his starts. Yeah, that's and when rem- you look remarkable. Down through, yep. There aren't many, like guys like Tom Glavin aren't even close. Yep. And, you know, Sabathia was there, but now with each passing year, he's slipping away. There are very, very few guys who, ha- who can say, I won 50% of the time that I started. And it's of all, like, you know, the Cy Youngs and the Gold Gloves and the, and the wars and all the new stats that come out, it's a very boring. You're like, oh, 50%, who cares? But it, is, it puts him in very rare air especially in the modern era. Well, it's interesting you say, you know, he's he's there now and he's not coming back out. You know, I, all the people, Mark, and you've known me a long time and you know what a backer of your brother I am. All of these people that have told me, you know, no way he's never getting in this. I knew from the day he walked off the mound in Fenway after winning his 20th game that he was eventually going to get in the Hall of Fame. Now, Stan thinks he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I've felt I, that way all I, along. I never thought that, but I knew he was a Hall of Famer. And for all these people that, use, you know, you're crazy, this and that, I said, and I've had conversations with people online this week, and I said, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I was right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, I, and isn't I, that the important thing? Well, no, no, no. In this, <laughs> in this particular case. Now, you were right. You know, and I was, I was right. right. And well, I still I am right when, that he belonged He belonged in there. And this is not a knock at Tom Glavin, because when you get to, into arguments at this level, it sounds like I got a bad mouth Tom to make my point. But your brother was the better pitcher of the two. Yeah, he had, he had a lot of better numbers. But it, they are hard arguments to make because people just say, well, Glavin was a five-time 20-game winner. He won two Right, right, right. And it's hard to get past that. So, yep. yeah, there's – and believe me, there have been a lot of – stats that I've seen online this week that I wanted to chime in on, but I just can't because, you know, I, I can't. Yeah, and, but, and, and the thing is, it doesn't matter now. Yeah, it it doesn't. doesn't. Hey, I wanted it to doesn't. ask you one, one, two quick things, really, is you, you, hit, you said something that it really meant a lot to, I think, Baltimore fans, uh, and it, it rang true for me. In other words, the Mucina family feels very fondly about their time in Baltimore. Well, I told, I, I told Glenn this the other day. My Mike's youngest son um, is now, he just turned 16. Right. So he remembers a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but he doesn't remember that much. And he's, now, he's an Orioles fan. You know, mm-hmm. he, well, he was a Manny Machado fan. Now I'm not sure where <laughs> that ends up. But, um, but. You know, so like we, Mike has has certainly been to Camden Yards yep. since he's retired more than he's been to Yankee Stadium, and it is not, um, you know, it's it's and it's where he started. And yep. there were, you know, there were there were World Series runs in New York, and he won twenty games in New York. But in '97, they were the best team in baseball, and as disheartening as the end was. You still look back and said, you know, it didn't end the way we wanted, but we were a great team and had a great year. And again, twenty-one, thirty-one, and and just he showed up in in late ninety-one. But his first full season in the big leagues was the first season at Camden Camp, Yards. Camden Yards, yeah. Did, and 
so that it, it was just Baltimore was a great run. It did, really was a great run. Did Sutcliffe mean a lot to your brother? I think Sutcliffe and Flanagan both did. Yeah. I think he was really um, because even when Mike showed up, he was a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't just a, a guy that that reared back and threw it. So to have two veteran guys like that who were both Cy Young winners, mm-hmm. who were both pitchers, even yeah. though they threw harder when they were younger, but so to have multiple guys that you could just sit there and talk with about the game, uh, he was he was very lucky to have those guys there when he showed up. Last question I've got for you is: When your brother decided to call it quits. Were you surprised by the decision when he when he did? In other angry? words, not, was I no, angry? Yes. Were, were I you was, angry? Nah. <laughs> well, what's funny is the year before he'd had a bad year, and he'd right. been hurt all year. Um, he hurt his foot in May, and it just it really limited what. And he kind of just battled through, and he ended up eleven and ten, and it was it was a struggle. He had one year left, and the the legend had it was that he had just told people, I'm playing out this year, and whatever happens, happens, and I'm done. And, and I thought from a psychological aspect that was a very intelligent way to go about mm-hmm. it. But then when he starts winning, like, why would you quit now? <laughs> and all, we're going through the summer. Our Little League president's telling us, Mike told me he's done, and my mom's telling Mike. And I just kept saying, there's no way he's done. Why would you quit now? Right. And uh, so when it was over, like, Kind of everybody around him was happy for him, but there was, I want to say there were two of us, and now I don't even remember who the other one was. I sat down, I made up a fake business meeting with him. I was like, hey, we need to talk about stuff. And we sat down, I said, what are you doing? And (laughs) he's like, I'm done. I don't don't need to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore, you know. And it was funny because we we talked for like 45 minutes, and I kind of kept asking that same question. Are you sure? I told him. I said, you're going to wake up next June. And you're going to be sitting in your living room, and you're going to say, why am I not in some hotel in Kansas City? Right. And he's like, no, I'm really not. And while we were talking, his phone rang, and he just talked real quick. He goes, hey, I'm talking to my brother. Let me call you back. And he hung up. I said, who was that? He said it was Brian Cashman. <laughs> and I said, call him back. I'll wait. Call him back. But So, yeah, I, I mean, I was, but I wasn't. The thing that really surprised me was there was never a moment like he was done. He knew he was done. And I thought, you know, when it got to spring training that he would regret it, and when it got to the season he would regret it. And Because even when these seasons end, they're they're tired. October, November, they're tired. They just want to come home and be a bum. But then by, like, right after the new year, you get into January, and the workouts would pick up, the intensity would pick up, and you could tell he was itching to go. He was always itching to go. And I thought he would itch to go again, and he never did. I told told Stan this earlier. I said – we all ask Mike at various times in that year, you know, are you coming back, this and that. He's, well, I don't know. You know, we'll have to see how it goes. Uh, I go up that night into the skybox to see Jane and the kids, and I said to her, I said, how you doing? She says, great. I'm finally going to get my husband back after this year. <laughs> and you knew. You and knew. I knew right then. <laughs> yeah, they. he said it. And I, I just thought, and I thought, too, like boxers say this, rock bands say this. Yep. You know, but then when you get back and when it's Thanksgiving and you've been home for two months, because the season's a grind. Yeah. Just the, the travel of it. And the, and I thought when he got home for two months, he would say, you know, why not? One more year, why not? And that's what that's what I thought. But he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. I'm good with it. And 
and he was. Did he have much of a relationship with the boss, George Steinbrenner? You know, I don't know. I don't. I don't think at that point. I'm not sure how much George was around. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know the kids were around, and uh, but I. I don't. I'm not sure uh, because he'd been getting older, and I, I don't. I don't remember when did George pass away. How long has it been? Now? It's got to be ten, twelve. It's got to be yeah. twelve, thirteen years, probably. I, I think he was much less of an active role yeah. at that point than. Than at least a daily role. Mark, thanks so. thanks so much for coming on and spending some time with us and sharing these thoughts. Uh, look forward to talking to you more as we build up to July. All right? Hey, I appreciate it, man. Uh, article, you. seriously, really one of the best things I've uh, ever read. Well, really. hey, I, I wanted to thank you if I had 30 more seconds. Last year, I, I finished a movie script, and I, I sent people, I, I sent a message on Facebook that said I needed somebody in the Cubs organization, and Dan, you gave me the contact that we all, an old friend of Rick Vaughn at, with, uh, yeah. yep. that had been with the Orioles. And I just wanted you to know that it's not, it's, we're making slow progress, but it's, it's, a lot of it is because of you. And I've met with Rick and I've met with Joe Madden now. And, um, and I want to thank you for that. And if it ever does get to any fruition, you will not be forgotten. All right. Mark, uh, I've been a big fan of yours. You know, we go way back. And I'm very happy for your family and for your brother. Hey, I appreciate it. All right. See you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Later, guys. Bye.